Welcome and thank you for joining us. There are few cinematic images more powerful than that of a courtroom when the verdict is announced. In classic movies, the judge would verbally pull each individual member of the jury. Each juror's voice echoes in crushing repetition. Of course, it's especially poignant when the verdict is guilty, guilty, guilty. The fear of having some great power or person pronouncing us guilty can cast a dark shadow over our entire lives. Not many of us are entirely free of that fear, no matter how innocent or powerful we may think we are. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul exuberantly declares that there is now no condemnation for those in the Messiah, Jesus. No condemnation! This assurance can of course only carry its full force for someone who has considered the seriousness of sin and the reality of God's judgment. The message of Paul is quite clear. It is sin that is condemned, not us. This morning we're turning to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Listen to God's word. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Thank you, Susan. And thank you to all of you for your prayerful support of our week at Camp Lambeck. Uh, this is the 31st time that uh, Ken Marr has given me a week to go and spend uh, on the shore of Lake Erie with music campers. And this, this week we had over 90 uh, kids who came and joined us for the week. We were blessed. We were stressed. We were in many ways just glad to be, to be together. Each night we end the day with what we call club time. And that's a mixture of worship and prayer and silly skits and announcements and scripture and so on. And 
So I, I, want, I want to say that even though I didn't preach last Sunday, I prepared five sermons this week. Um, but they're really what, what I call club talks, not sermons. And part of the tradition is to begin a club talk with knock-knock jokes. So today, knock-knock. Who's there? I've only been gone a week. You've forgotten already. <laughs> All right, let's pray. <laughs> God of mercy, grant that the word you speak this day through scripture may take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives for the sake of Jesus Christ, our Savior, and to the glory of his name. Amen. There are few cinematic images that have more power than that of a packed courtroom when the jury gives the verdict for that trial. And it's even more dramatic when the judge takes time to ask for each person on the jury, every voice, to say the verdict out loud, especially, it seems, when it's a guilty verdict. It echoes through the courtroom, guilty, guilty, guilty. Don't all the classic trial movies have that scene somewhere along the way? Well, the fear of having some great power or person pronounce us guilty can cast a dark shadow over our lives as well. And not many of us are entirely free of that fear. No matter how innocent we believe we are, or no matter how powerful we believe we are. This is part of what makes racial profiling so terrible in our country. We are a country that claims people are innocent until proven guilty, and yet some law enforcement personnel treat a person as guilty just because of their skin color. The solution is not, however, to discriminate against other races, even more races, multiplying that. For instance, in college admissions, which is what the Supreme Court had to decide recently. Racially imbalanced sentencing um, unfair college admissions policies, they are both troubling examples that we should try to learn from in order that we can treat everyone the same and we can expect to be treated equally in this country. Spiritually speaking, though, I want to turn the tables on that and say that all of us are guilty. Every single one of us are guilty. But it's not just the prospect of being pronounced legally guilty that haunts us. One of the things that I struggled with when I was growing up was feeling like I didn't measure up. And many of us go through periods of time when that occurs. And the, the story that popped into my head this week uh, to illustrate that is when I went to practice uh, for seventh grade football, I can't really call it a tryout. It was just the coaches kind of watching us do some, some football kind of things, as well as run around the entire track. And they stood there with their, their time, their, their watch, watches, uh, making sure that we were fast enough for the team. 
Well, I think there was only one or two boys behind me by the time I crossed the finish line, so I'm not a fast runner. I didn't think I would ever get to touch a football in a football game, but the next day when the coach posted those who had made the team, my name wasn't there. I felt like I didn't measure up. And it only got worse when a few days later, my friends all showed up with their new football jerseys when they came to school. Paul's consistent message to the Roman church may haunt those who worry that we don't spiritually measure up. We might cringe as we hear from Paul repeatedly saying, he says this in chapter three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous, not even one. So this is how, how the message begins today. It begins with all of us being pronounced guilty. Every last one of us. And in verse 2 of today's passage, Paul calls it the law of sin and death from which we need to be set free. He's referring to law, as one writer calls it, uh, more of a condition, kind of like the law of gravity or the law of thermodynamics. It's a force that shapes our lives. So when our parents sinned, our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, uh, and fell under the power of sin, we joined them. And we have not been freed from that power in our own lives. And we can't free ourselves any more than we could free ourselves from the law of gravity, for that matter. So we have good reason to fear condemnation. Condemnation leads to eternal separation from God and from each other. That's why Paul's message is such very, very good news. Now there is no condemnation. That's the, the glorious gospel good news that I think still draws people to Christ. It, it brings people to church on Sunday morning. Uh, we may not hear it as clearly as it's stated here in Romans 8 every Sunday, but following our confession of faith, you do hear the good news of the gospel each and every week that we are forgiven, that we are freed that we belong. We long to hear things like what Paul celebrates back in chapter five. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. Because we know ourselves all too well, we naturally just kind of expect God to say to us, you're guilty. You're guilty. We Reformed Christians are even worse at that, by the way. We Presbyterians and Reformed people, we uh, think that our own conscience accuses us of having sinned against all of God's commandments and of never having kept any of them. But because of what Jesus did, we have hope. We can expect to hear God's gracious words, God's, God's forgiving, merciful words, you are not guilty. Not guilty. After all, the only one who has the power to overturn our guilt, 
guilty verdict has in fact already reversed it. He's already accomplished that on the cross. So we're ready for some good news. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who have received God's grace by faith. By God's grace, there's no reason for God's beloved people to any longer fear not measuring up, not making the cut. Christians don't have to worry that God will tell us we're not good enough. So when Jesus gave himself up to death, he became uh, what one writer calls, and I love this, this phrase, he became the judge who was judged in our place. The judge who was judged in our place. And when the only perfect person let the Romans crucify him, he submitted himself to the judgment of God that God's people rightly deserved. Though Jesus was perfect, and though Jesus was good enough, we might say, God let him be not good enough for a time so that you and I could be good enough. We might say that God somehow abandoned him for a moment so that God would never abandon us. By doing so, Jesus set us free from the, the law of sin and death so that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Yet it's very important from Romans 8 that we do all we can to understand for what purpose God has set us free from the threat of condemnation. God has not pronounced us not guilty in order to let us go back to old ways of living, to let us run off and just do whatever we want to do and forget God in the process. As Paul writes in verse 3, when God condemned sin in the flesh, God also completely changed our situation. God graciously freed Christians who had been slaves to sin and death from that captivity. And he has also given us through the Holy Spirit the freedom to serve the Lord and each other. So I hope you catch the distinction. We are not condemned. Our sin is condemned. Up until now, Paul's systematic presentation of the Christian gospel has been a little short on the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Yet in verses 9 to 11, he gives a description of the power of the Spirit that is simply phenomenal. And the name that he gives the Spirit is the Spirit of God. Now take note of that phrase, the Spirit of God. That is the same phrase that is found in the second chapter of the Bible. The spirit that hovered over the face of the deep and had the power of creation itself. The spirit of God. Paul also uses the name the spirit of Christ to remind us that it is the same spirit who indwelled the incarnate son of God as he walked the face of the earth. And in case the potential power of the Spirit should escape any of us, the Apostle also says, for good measure, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead. That's the third person of the Holy Spirit in us, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 
What an incredible gift we have been given. A friend of mine visited another uh, acquaintance named Dorothy when she was recovering from foot surgery. And they were both relatively new Christians, so they, they wanted to get together to talk about their faith experience. Uh, the woman recovering from surgery and my friend had a delightful conversation about faith. And um, the woman recovering told her that she'd read in the Bible that the way uh, uh, of that the way of anger was not the Christian way. So she reported that she was asking God to make her more patient and less irritated with people. Well, my friend who was visiting her also said that to be angry is simply to be human. Yet the woman recovering from surgery as a new Christian had this 2020 vision that angry anger simply had to go. It shouldn't be part of her Christian experience. She said, shouldn't I expect Jesus to be working in me to help me change my anger? Good question. Paul doesn't say simply that Christ is for us. He says that Christ is in us. Christ in us, we siblings of Jesus are also in Christ, as Paul says repeatedly in this letter. His spirit frees his followers to live according to the spirit. But in reality, I, I, I think there are a lot of Christian people who live in a kind of uneasy limbo between thinking they are condemned or thinking they are free thinking that they are guilty or thinking they are not guilty. Our fear of not being good enough for God may bubble up unexpectedly. Most of the time, as long as things are going pretty well, we keep that fear buried. Other people are convinced that we're kind of Christian superheroes. Christians don't usually, however, get ulcers. Mind you, Jesus' followers will sometimes give ulcers to other folks, intentionally or unintentionally, but we judge others instead of worrying about them judging us. Still, others live on a kind of perpetual spiritual hot seat. We join Paul in the knowledge that I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature, as he says in the last chapter, which you heard from Louise last Sunday. We want to do what is good, but we don't actually do it. So many of us still think that the verdict will be guilty. It rings in our ears. It makes our lives somewhat miserable. And it makes our deaths terrifying. Only individual Christians can decide into which category we go, the guilty or the not guilty, the condemned or the free. But in whichever group we think we ought to place ourselves, we're actually all in the same group. This is how Paul describes it in chapter 3. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So to every single one of us here this morning, and to every single person on the face of the earth, the great gospel word comes to us from Romans 8. 
To those who have ears to hear and hearts to believe, God promises a new verdict, a new world, a new people. Yes, God's adopted children remain guilty of sinning against God and against each other by what we do and what we fail to do, by what we say and what we neglect to say, but nevertheless, hear the gospel message. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus, the judge, says, not guilty. Case closed. Amen. Thank you for joining us. A video recording of this service can be found on YouTube or Facebook by searching for Kenmore Church.